Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Red Mage podcast for what is definitely my final episode. Honestly, this final episode is more of a celebration than it is a morning because it's really the start of a new chapter for me. As you all know, I've been <laughs> MIA for quite some time. This is because of life events, publications, and a lot of prototyping. But mostly, in being really honest, I've been transitioning, and that comes with a bunch of life changes and challenges. So, to be perfectly clear what I mean about transitioning, I'm a trans woman, and it feels like everything in my world has been turned upside down. All the fears and worries I struggled with it, with in the beginning and, you know, just had concerns about, but it's also brought the greatest sense of peace, community, and purpose. It's been a voyage kind of coming to terms with this and starting HRT, or otherwise known as hormone replacement therapy. I've been putting everything that I've worked on into perspective during this time too. That includes this podcast, The Red Mage. You see, this podcast was originally created to explore UX and resulted as a culmination of my time and work in graduate school. Freshly out of graduate school, there was so much that I really wanted to do, but I could never quite pinpoint where I wanted to be or what I wanted to do for the remainder of my life. And, you know, when you say that, like, that's that's really weighty. That really... It's just a lot to kind of like say, like, I'm just going to do, you know, this for the rest of my life. And it just, I don't like saying that. Like, it, it feels like it's so limiting. So before recording this, I actually went back and I listened to a couple of, of the previous episodes. Um, when I listened to myself speak, it's like it wasn't my voice at all. It's like my voice wasn't really there. It It was really much more of this sorting through an arrangement of mass trying to figure out which one would be socially acceptable while all the meanwhile denying my truth and coming out to my friends and community i needed to take a step away from my job my podcast and just a lot of things that were just kind of going on like i needed time to recuperate and i couldn't do that with this podcast and everything and all these expectations weighing on me I wasn't really where I needed to be, and I was just kind of wandering while trying to fit, fit in these pieces together of all the things I wanted to do, all the things I wanted to embody, and the person that I really wanted to become. Being really honest, I was just so close to everything. Like, I couldn't see it from the distance, you know, or I get the large perspective. And I wanted to be a force of change and stand for a cause, but... I couldn't do that without taking care of myself first. So I want to touch upon the conclusion of my latest research of the previous episodes dealing with mental health. You see, all that research that I shared in previous episodes culminated in exploring the potential of virtual communities to act as support groups for individuals dealing with anxiety, depression, and burnout. This was really important to me because these were topics that I and many others were struggling with post-pandemic. I wanted to do something for communities I was kind of tied to in order to do something or make something that mattered. But 
you know, I was getting back into it. Like all I wanted to do was to lead me into creating something. And really what happened was I ended up connecting with virtual communities. And that led me to really explore one where I spent a lot of time, the MMORPG, Final Fantasy uh, 14, where I had various ties to all the subcultures in the roleplay community and the um, streaming community and so much more. I really just decided to connect with members of the roleplay community because a lot of the research that we had gone over talked about role-playing games in <coughs> application to mental health. And I ended up really kind of just spending a lot of time with them, uh, the role-play community. I explored the potential of these, of these communities to act as support systems, and I did it by spending time with them. I talked to people. I interviewed them and just kind of like asked them, you know, what is it, what do these communities mean to you? What do they do for you? And a lot of the answers are really surprising. Like these communities gave a sense of peace, a sense of belonging. And these venues are really, these virtual venues are really where these communities kind of came together to celebrate that. And in between kind of like playing, playing the game and doing like more serious content. It was a place for respite. It was a place for connecting and it was a place for kind of exploration of self are just kind of venting and just getting a way to escape from just the overwhelming like impact of the pandemic. So after building up enough time, like a couple months of this research, I think it was about three to four months actually spending time leveling a character, uh, working with um, communities, like actually working at a, a virtual venue, talking to people taking down notes and observations from what I saw. And then it kind of turned into me using that pre-existing space to build my own virtual venue that was dedicated to helping people unwind and just relax. And really one of the best things that I heard was like, this is really a space. And this is quoting um, one of the, one of the community members that came in. This is really a space where I feel I can just kind of like be at peace AFK and listen to music and unwind. And that for me was a really huge step in the right direction. So after running this kind of test space, um, I published my findings in the AHFE 2022 International Conference in New York. I know that's kind of a mouthful, <laughs> but it was one of the, my biggest highlights of the year. And I want to give a shout out to Deborah Satish Satterfield from Long Beach State and Dr. Laura Hazinga over at Fresno State for all their help and support on this project. I was able to get some guidance from Deb in how to interact with uh, the these spaces. And then Laura Hazinga is an amazing, amazing professor. She had the kindness to give me an interview as to the work that she was doing in virtual spaces about the UI and user interface and what really made a, a good virtual experience as well as what kind of defined identities and, and certain things in these spaces. And I was like kind of looking around for that. And it really coalesced and brought this project together to bring out some major highlights. But back to what I've been doing, you see, the tricky part came after that. It's what I wanted to do, you know, after. I still wanted to make something that matters and makes a difference in people's lives. I left a job that was kind of well-paying 
but overworked me and really undervalued any of the research that I was doing. And by overwork, I mean 15-hour shifts as a UX researcher, designer, and just all these other different roles. And I was just, I can't. So <laughs> as they offered me an opportunity to ship out a country, I really didn't feel safe uh, going through with that. Seeing that if I came out as bi and then later trans, I would most likely get arrested. <laughs> so I was just like, you know, F this. It's not for me. Um, I, I don't even think I'd be able to start HRT if I ended up going to that country because it's so conservative. But anyways, I ended up just saying no. I peaced out and I really didn't want to get persecuted for just if I fell in love with someone and held their hand in, in, in a public space. Like, that's crazy. So I left. I kept job searching. And after a handful of rejections, I really kind of realized I couldn't find purpose working on apps. It felt soulless, to be really honest. And I decided to take my skills and everything that I'm able to do and start up my own game company, Asuna LLC. I ended up making some virtual prototypes to help with meditation and, you know, some really low fidelity stuff just to get a lot of user feedback. I was super excited to see where I could go with this concept and what kind of impact I could make, especially after how successful I was in doing that research project um, and collecting that research on virtual spaces for mental health with Final Fantasy. But sadly, I struggled to build and engage a community with this concept, and the failure really stung. It was one of the hardest things to kind of like deal with. I mean, how couldn't it? I had all the research to back it up. I had all this data. I had like, you know, like made these prototypes. I was going out into these spaces and it kind of just fell flat. But I ended up feeling that it, I was lost in this really robotic approach as I'm a UX researcher. And I felt like I started to lose sight of being an artist, a community member, and really a storyteller. I knew I needed to take a step away, so I took some time off to rest and just let these ideas marinate. And it really was just getting some sleep, laying down, going on walks for myself, and dealing with stuff to just process, you know, coming out as bi, um, coming out as trans, starting HRT, having lost friends, like dealing with all these new things that, like with a, that comes with a queer identity, such as like difficulties finding jobs, difficulties kind of coming out and spending time in CIS places, and losing family members and friends. Like that, that one really kind of hit home. Also recovering from just like an insane, just like work schedule that I like, I had a bunch of friends just be like, hey, like you're, you're working like at like 11 o'clock at night and what are you doing and I was just wearing so many hats because it was this crunch mentality and it just wasn't me so after all that rest and just letting these ideas marinate and just kind of come together I started to connect with who I was and really fill out where I kind of needed to be and it was a very scary process like of letting go of 29 years 
of kind of putting on this like facade and kind of like almost fitting into this NPC role like from a video game. And I needed to just kind of get back to being the protagonist of my own story. So that's when I finally came to terms with my own identity as, you know, trans and bisexual. And while at this point I was already out to friends and one or two immediate family members, I really wasn't public about it. I was still hiding in the dysmorphia hoodie. I was scared to go outside. I didn't feel at peace with myself. And I wrestled with being accepted at workspaces, social spaces, and just in general. That fear of rejection, that like struggle to find a job, that struggle to, you know, be able to engage with the community like I used to to go out and be okay and like kind of blend in it was exactly what was holding me back i kind of just ripped off the band-aid and just came out with it saying fuck it if this is who i am why shouldn't i just be everything that i am and <laughs> man like i've never gotten job rejection so fast like i actually <laughs> made a drinking game out of it and it was kind of fun you know, and it's the little things that you have to do on this journey where it's just like, okay, this is something that it's just not going to work out. Or, you know, there might be a really valid reason. And others, like jobs that I applied to in Texas and some more red states, were pretty obviously like transphobic. So I decided to just make the best of it and continue on with my own journey. And... I started to get close with a bunch of people in virtual trans communities and support groups. I joined Discord servers. I, you know, went to kind of like workshops. Um, <clears throat> I joined the LGBTQ center and I really started kind of just like learning through videos, through some books and just through talking to people about all of these, these things that kind of embody what it means to be like, you know, like have a queer identity. And it it helped a lot. Now, don't take it that this is just kind of like, oh, well, it's one and done and you're, we're done now. No, you have to understand that this is an ongoing journey. Like I'm only on month four of HRT. And when dysmorphia hits, my God, it hits hard. Things like rejection still pain me like to hear from certain jobs that I believe I'm qualified for. And even just rejection from spaces where it's not outright, but then you get the looks, you get the stares, you get some of the sensations <laughs> of your cell phone ring in the background because um, you forgot to turn down the volume and you can't edit that out in post. But it was, it's a lot, you know? you it's such a big change and to go through this alone for the most part is kind of hard because even if i have cis friends or other friends that are uh, identify as lesbian or ace or uh, gay or bi it's a whole different ballpark when you're dealing with trans or being you know transness <laughs> i don't know if that's correctly to say that but that's kind of it's different like you know you're trying to become who you are and every time you look in the mirror 
or pass by a reflective surface, it's not the person that you are inside. And you get certain things like someone just kind of saying, well, just go talk about it in therapy. And well, things like therapy are important and they help. It's really kind of a thing that you have to live in to really understand. And it's so distant from people that they'll really never empathize. And while they'll try, they're just, it's just a process that you have to take day by day. And it really is trusting in the process and living your truth. And for allies listening to this, this doesn't make me brave or honorable or even fucking cool. Like, it makes me human. And if you want to talk about brave ones, the brave ones are those who came before me that made things like HRT, created a, a language about, you know, being trans and defined it, bringing visibility to trans experiences and making that all kind of more available and open to my generation. And it's also Gen Z and for being so so confident with who they are and just not taking shit from turfs and exclusionists and extremists and really kind of going out man my cell phone keeps going off i i swear to god i turned it off but in in kind of just like gen z just taking so much power back and you know pushing for these spaces to transform and change those who came before us and, and gen z and all of others in my generation that are making such big like splashes in a time where we're getting shot where we can't hold hands where we can't do any of this just normally and are so dehumanized they're the brave ones but before i kind of dive into these issues i want to get back to my story and not derail so from there i really started coming out in the most radical way possible and pretty much saying fuck it I put down books on game design and I started kind of focusing on living my truth, dressing up feminine, learning some really bad foundational makeup, um, <laughs> struggling, trying to make an effort at voice training and then just being like, ah, this is hard and considering just doing ASL for the rest of my life. But even in that, it was just such growth and being able to connect with people and really kind of like doing what UX does best being human and i was able to pull from that all this great stuff in living my truth and educating myself on things that i had rejected about myself for about 30 years so i started doing things that i was really scared to do too this includes streaming on twitch while it did help out a you know that I knew a couple of streamers and I did some graphics for them and I did some UX consulting. I was focused on experimenting on the platforms and playing the games that I wanted to do with the persona that I kind of created. I was actually able to hit affiliate pretty fast. I think I hit it within a month and I honestly owe that to all the amazing people I met while playing games like Dead by Daylight, Overwatch 2, Final Fantasy 14, and so much more. As I continued kind of playing this and was just kind of like trying out this persona of like a dumb but fun and like quirky individual, I started to feel that was kind of empty for myself. And I love entertainers, just different VTubers or personalities because they are entertainers and personalities that provide a service for us. And 
I enjoy participating with, you know, as like they're one of their like audience members. I enjoy sharing their content. But for me, doing it myself felt really empty. I felt like another kind of person in the like a sea of personalities that was kind of blending in. And I felt myself doing that exact same thing where I was just kind of like masking certain things that I wanted to do. And I was scared. You know, it's scary kind of coming out and being like, I want to talk about issues as this like silly kind of caricature or this like silly persona, I should say, that is manifested as a visual avatar. I kind of struggled with it, but then it was one day that I decided to basically allow myself to try this out. And I kind of did this too because I got really tired of playing mainstream games like Dead by Daylight. I really wanted to play games I loved, and a lot of these games were indie. And I also really wanted to support indie studios like Pretty Smart Games and other creators that made beautiful narratives that just kind of shake you to your core, like Code Romantic or the really bizarre and fun Y2K, a postmodern RPG. So in shifting gears, I actually kind of bonded with a few followers who enjoyed me telling stories and just kind of like talking about real issues and while just being kind of crazy, playful, and degenerate. And while it seems really kind of like the farthest thing that you want to do from a UX researcher role, you have to remember that when you do like ethnography, you're being part of that system. You're like, you're coming in and you're kind of humbling yourself and letting the people kind of guide the process. And on a platform like Twitch, those are all like characteristics that you kind of resonate with because it's kind of human. It's who we are. And if you have a stick up your ass and are just like, well, that's just not professional and this and that, go try to have like a completely stiff and just rigid persona like and you're just not going to reach anyone. You're not going to connect with someone. I had to break away from this emotionless side of myself that I, I kept using to distance myself for user testing and and collecting information and I had to be human I had to be there and present with people at the joke I had to tell stories I had to invite them to tell stories back and engage with me and ask me questions and slowly as I continued on I realized at my core I'm a storyteller in fact I had a random epiphany one day after streaming I believe it was Y2K postmodern RPG and we had talked about this like really bizarre aspect of the game um where it kind of goes into this like acid trip and you break into not being able to tell what kind of timeline or or phase you're in right i was really enamored with this because it was just so different and it was just so weird and i was like wow you know with these like really low graphics and just like really crazy like effects like it kind of worked and it was a really fun way to tell a story. For some reason, that just kind of triggered me having this like memory of grad school. It kind of <laughs> it kind of happened where it was this time in grad school where I'm pretty sure I had like three mental breakdowns. I broke into tears twice and drowned myself, my sorrows, <laughs> myself and my sorrows in tapoki and beer. I was venting to this visiting professor about all these characters and dialogues I had in my head, but I struggled and how I struggled to kind of like 
move forward with anything because I couldn't balance out like the short amount of time, you know, executing quality and figuring out a format that was proper to breathe life into these characters and this narrative while also hitting my initial purpose or proposition of creating an educational game, which I couldn't go back and change because we're so late into everything. He was really awesome and super considerate. His name was Jonathan. <laughs> he sat there like listening to me, like ranting like a fucking maniac. And where I'm sure anyone else would have been like, we need to have you committed and like just evaluated and sedated and locked away for eternity. He simply looked at me and just kind of like calmly said, I think you're struggling with making this game, not because you're incapable of doing it, but because you're a writer at your core. And I'm not going to lie, like I kind of, <laughs> part of it kind of was like a compliment, but the other part I was just like, I kind of dismissed it at the time because I was in an accelerated program, the first uh, like cohort in there, and we were basically guinea pigs for these UX processes. And I was doing my grad program, I was doing um, three competitions, and I was doing like a research paper, like all in addition to that. And yeah, I'm kind of crazy, but when, when I am in a program like that, that's a sandbox, I need to make the most of it, right? I'm not going to be able to kind of break as many things as I can in the real world where I can in like this sandbox, which is cool. So all of this is like kind of hitting me and I'm just like, it was, it was great to hear I'm a writer, but at the time it was just like, this isn't helping me. Like, I don't get it, but I couldn't make sense at the time because I was so in my head and just deal and blinded by all these, like what now I would kind of deem as superficial elements of time and, and things instead of just fucking making something now it kind of makes sense you see because it's ux isn't just a process for researching and experimenting and building it's about exploration it's about empathy and it's about co-creation and it doesn't have to be just limited to an app or finance or a website or just a traditional video game Really, UX is just another tool in your belt to do anything that you want. And in regards to myself, I am this experimental interactive storyteller where I use different platforms, medias, and, and tools to engage and dissect and transform through the power of storytelling. And you can tell stories with literally anything, a, a fucking app, a video, a streaming platform, musics, music videos, architecture, books, toys, AR experiences. Okay, look, the list goes on. In coming to terms with my being trans and a storyteller, what can I possibly do to make the world a better place? How can I hit that mission that I've, I've kind of gone out to do? And how does any of that kind of tie into what I'm doing here at the Red Mage or was doing here at the Red Mage? And, you know, how do you wrangle all this, all this, all this madness? <laughs> Actually, that's like a really reasonable question, to be pretty frank with you guys. And I recognize like on the outside, I sound like a complete entity of chaos. I sound like a fucking train wreck. I look, I sound like the equivalent of someone putting a fire out with a fucking like avocado. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make sense. But yeah, I am. 
And it's because I can jump into that fray, I could jump into that chaos, that I can grab all these very like loose strings and tie them all together and create a sense of order. It's kind of like a design Valkyrie, I would say. Jumping into the fray and then weaving out all these things that just you don't need to be there and coming out victorious in the end. Now, it's easy to kind of just say that while you guys are sitting there listening to this, but it's the fact that you're actually listening to this, that something is resonating with you. Because there's no protagonist worth their grain and salt that just waltz in through life and has an immediate success. That's really not how the hero's journey works. And if you're scared of that mess, then p- politely just move aside. I don't cater to you and I don't have time to hold your hand through that. We're here to jump into the fray. You see, the Red Mage is a podcast really intended to involve with me over time as I explore myself and navigate through this large mess of like social problems and challenges that like plague society while trying to like kind of also see how I fit into this much larger picture. During my time here, I've conducted research on wicked problems, you know, conducted ethnographic interviews, shared findings, created prototypes, set up wireframes, research boards, and you know, the whole schlick. And I put that out into the world. This was a process of discovery on two fronts as well. The first being, how do you address these wicked problems as a UX designer? And second, how do you grow as a person? I want to take a step away from calling myself a UX designer because there's such a stigma of working on just an app or building just this two-dimensional fucking website. And honestly, I hate it and I don't care. I think it's just overdone and it's so limiting. And we put all of our effort into defining UX as just apps and websites. And it's really an umbrella term that encompasses so much. We ignore that because it's safe. Understand that UX is being able to empathize and take that empathy and transform the information that you get and turn it into something powerful that can help maybe a business grow, yeah, but also revamp systems like what happens with introducing things like DEI, reshaping the way that we can meet UN goals with unconventional means, transforming downtrodden neighborhoods that are plagued by gentrification into inclusive spaces that promote, you know, well-being and prosperity and you know, just emotional like growth and so much more. But you have to get out of the box to really kind of dive into what's deeper in exploring what it is to be a UX designer. And besides, going back to that second point of growing as a person, when you grow as a person, you also grow as a professional. You don't have to separate your peas from carrots. Mix all that's on your plate, all your experience, all your knowledge, everything that's kind of coming together just mash it up and turn it into this ooey gooey concophony of goodness and create something new. Now I kind of want to dive into this, like bringing in like my my background in game and art. My BA is actually in studio art or fine art. And then my master's is in human experience design interactions, where I specialized leveraging games as a critical technology. Before we get into anything like crazy, like, oh, these like complex games, like just 
enough. Like going back into just games and art. When we like dissect this, you know, as to what makes it like a game or a piece of art really memorable, you can go on about a lot of stuff like the music, the colors, concept, so on and so on and so on. Okay. But when I look at something like a game or a piece of art, I feel it's really about the story. Now I know not all games are narrative or have narratives and not all art pieces are like have this like complex narrative about them. Yeah, you know, like I played Breakout and Tetris. I, I get it. I'm not talking about that. What I'm actually talking about is not the actual like narrative of the game or whatever it's based on or even loosely based on. I'm actually talking about the stories that come out of it, about the interacting with the game or art piece through the process of doing, perceiving, interacting, or even in some cases, grabbing and tasting <laughs> that game or art. And other times it really is a narrative driven piece with either a linear or non-linear story structure. Think of these instances, like when you go out and you see a piece of art and you take a photo and it transforms the way that you feel and you talk about that on your Instagram and then you share it and then other people are drawn to it. It's really creates this whole narrative about your relationship or society's relationship with that piece of art and it becomes a story that you tell people like i went to the broad museum and i saw like you know a giant fucking totoro or i saw yoyoi's giant pumpkin and it really just was like this psychedelic trip man or you know like something is just like about it like that i loved or something i hated or whatever it transforms the way that you talk about your experiences and spaces and time and with other people and it becomes a narrative it really kind of evolves into something now the same with games you can play something like call of duty modern warfare just for the multiplayer never even touch the story but then you have certain elements like you have your rank you have your kda you have like your all-time score and i think a better example would actually be halo there is an entire thing where everyone in the world was playing halo and there is a mission to get so many kills and ki of these like alien creatures. And it became this experience that transcended just the game and was a bunch of gamers coming together to do the impossible. Hit a score of something like 500 million kills. And even like the bad gamers who were just casuals were contributing to this. And all of a sudden, once they hit the 5 million, it's just like, we did it. We achieved the story and you can go on and tell stories about your contributions to being like, yeah, you know, I got like 300 kills with like the needler. I got I did this. I ran over people with a warthog or I just beat people with a plasma pistol. And then it also feeds into the narrative of the game and the experience itself of like, wow, you know, there's a space game and like we created this giant thing. And it's all these narratives that start coming together. And it transforms the way that we have a relationship with games or we have a relationship with other gamers that help us kind of like meet this insurmountable challenge. And you can ride this off as a stretch or you can consider that you're maybe just not looking deep enough into the power of storytelling because whoever tells the best story wins. When we look at wicked problems in the world, they're this series of intertwined, overlapped, entangled, and complex narratives. Let's use those terrorists, for example, that shot up the queer nightclub in Colorado. Or the homegrown terrorists that call trans people groomers, but yet never fail to fetishize us. Just a thing. And how it's all kind of wrapped up 
into these narratives about gun laws, mental health, public safety, and the dehumanization of the LGBTQIA community. It's pretty fucking messy, if you, to be honest. And if any of this angers you, you should really reconsider what kind of human being you are. But regardless, it's messy. And it's hard to navigate as it's impacting so many things and it's tied to so many, like, beliefs and conflicting narratives and, and, you know, things that run parallel and these, like, acts of persuasion and all these things that kind of come in. And now let's look at the mental health aspect of that. Now, first off, let me reiterate for, like, the millionth time on this fucking podcast. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, you know, a, a psychiatrist. I don't have a background in psychology or anything of the sort. I'm addressing this issue as a designer and a UX researcher looking at a problem that is literally killing members of my community. And I'm doing so because it feels like there's not enough being done to ensure the safety and curate a narrative that really humanizes, just humanizes us. Now to glance, traditional approaches to address social issues that likely write off stories and games as being irrelevant to mental health and well-being communities. And, you know, we haven't really tried it, and we really haven't applied critical gaming to that. So it's easy to write off because it's not the traditional, conventional tool. And that's such a shame because there's so much power in that, and we've seen it through our previous episodes. And if we reflect on our journey that we've been through in all this, we see how really how games have been leveraged as a tool for education, mental health, community building since, well, forever. So specifically, we talked about the power of tabletop games, simulations, and role play to illuminate how games are powerful vehicles for transformation. Now, all I'm doing is just adding storytelling into that mix. And this is really important because for the trans community, Games aren't just a coping mechanism. They're a safe space where we can connect with other members of the trans community. In game worlds, we can take on female avatars, male avatars, get gendered correctly by other players, and experiment by selecting a name for a transition. Honestly, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because games like Celeste that have narratives about trans identities bring us a sense of peace and hope. They make us feel included. They make us feel seen. Most importantly, they humanize our experience. And these narratives mean more to the community than you could ever possibly imagine, especially in the world where the narrative surrounding trans people is always violent, anti-trans, misrepresentative, and vulgar. Being branded as confused groomers and monsters and being fetishized by radical conservatives has driven suicide rates up in trans youth. And many trans people are living in constant fear of being attacked, disowned, harmed, and dehumanizing us really makes it difficult to find jobs. It makes it almost impossible to seek out medical treatments, and it impacts our mental health. So now the piece is all together. I kind of found through failure and experimenting and trying where I need to be and where I belong. I found my identity. I found my voice, and I found my calling. I am a bisexual trans woman who takes pride in her background in storytelling as a form of play and art to establish herself as an experimental narrative designer. And as an experimental narrative designer, I create interactive stories using various media, technology, 
and platforms such as Spotify, Twitch, Unity, public installations, graphic design, so much more to reveal the challenges faced by trans individuals. My purpose in doing so is to introduce new narratives that surround trans people in the U.S. and to push back against all those narratives that dehumanize us or make us seem like jokes to people. So in conclusion of the Red Mage podcast, this was really my stepping stone in discovering who I am and what I was meant to do. But this isn't really where my story ends. In fact, it's kind of where it begins. I will continue by creating a new podcast with an interactive element called Stories from the Trans Am. And I will continue to stream on Twitch with my alternate persona at Azalea Girasol. So I really do hope that you consider checking it out, dropping by for my streams, and giving it a shot because we are human and we deserve our voice to be heard and to feel human and normalized. As I'm finishing up and closing out, I want to say that I am the sassy, playful, smartass, degenerate with a deep voice and I'm just tired of hiding it. So this is Azalea Iyana Hodek, the true face and voice of the Red Mage, bidding you good luck on your adventures, travelers. And remember, Never let anyone dim your light.